0: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the director for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, George C. Wolfe, followed by Will Mavity's interviews with cinematographer Tobias Sleischler and the makeup and hairstyling team, including hair department head Mia Neal, Matiki Anoff, the makeup department head, and the personal makeup artist for Viola Davis, Sergio Lopez Rivera.
1: A one, a two. Uh, you know what to do. It's be an empty world without the blues. (laughs) I try to take that emptiness and fill it up with something.
2: (laughs) But they want to call me Mother Blues. That's all right with me. It don't hurt none. (laughs) Hi, George. Good morning.
3: Hello. How are you? I am so good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm good. Crazy planet, but I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, I appreciate your time to talk to me today about directing Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I'd love to dive in and hear about the first time that you saw a production of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Could you tell me sort of about your history with the project as a play and what made you want to direct this film adaptation?
1: I saw the play back in 1984. Uh, I think I saw a preview. I may have saw one of the final previews before it opened. Somebody got me a free ticket, which was always a good thing because I had no money back then, and um, and so and and I saw it, and yeah, I thought it was really fascinating. And Charles Dutton was putting in like a sort of monumental performance, uh, very different than what Chadwick ended up doing. But um, you know, and and I remember Teresa Merritt and. You know, and it was so it was uh, it was like clearly that we were in the presence of a new and exciting and amazing voice. And mm-hmm. that was that. And so that was nine thousand years ago. And then um I was working with Denzel on a on, on a Broadway project. And he mentioned that he wanted me to direct my training. And I said, oh, OK, well, let me revisit it. And I did. And that's how I got involved fundamentally.
3: And what about this story feels relevant to you today like what made you want to direct this new version
1: well i you know what it, it's um I, I you know i was fascinated that, that there were a number of, of challenges that i thought were really fascinating to me i you know it's you know it deals with a kind of compression to deal, It deals, it's you know i love the compression i love the fact that it's you know aside from the prologue and the epilogue if you will I, I, one of the things that i was initially intrigued by, i to me, it was really fascinating to me because it's about, you know, it's, you, know you have an, an older artist trying to protect her voice and a younger artist trying to claim his voice. Mm-hmm. And that dichotomy was really, really fascinating to me. And then you had the specifics of Chicago. You had the specifics of 1927. You had the specifics of that day of black. You had the specifics of that one's a young, young guy, one's an older woman. Uh, it, you know, it, it it magnifies and intensifies that. And then I love the idea that it was one day. So mm-hmm. so there's a pressure cooker, and there's a you know so so there's certain classic filming. Equations—one young, one old, one man, one woman—you know what I mean. It's all taking place in one day. So there are certain classic equations that are really fascinating about it to me. And then there's this incredibly rich, textured language, which I think is. You know, a lot of people have been saying it's a play. No, it's not a play. It's a film. But because there's so much dialogue and rich dialogue, I think it's, it's you know, it's startling. But that, to me, is what I thought was kind of thrilling. And actually, the play is an hour longer than the film. Mm-hmm. So, so, so there was a tremendous amount of, 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 of condensing and, 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 um, and, and making things hopefully more concise. And also, I was really intrigued by trying to redefine the South. Because Ma speaks about not liking Chicago, and she has a line where she says, I'll take my, my ass back down south, because I don't like it up here anyway. And you had 100,000 people, 100,000 people moving to Chicago in the first 20 years of the last century, and you have this one person saying, get me the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. And so that became really intriguing to me, and so I wanted to play around with undermining, if you will, a filmic under a filmic understanding of what we've of what the South is, you know. So you're you, you opening it up with two young men running and the dogs barking, and we assume it's horror, and we assume it's the Klan. But no, they're not running from something. They're running to something. So just playing around with that dynamic and then also making Chicago a character. Chicago, a character that was filled with economic possibility, Chicago, a city that was also had very rigid uh, lines of demarcation, not... Not just between races, but also just you know between you know Chicago is was and is in some respects you know based, you know an enclave of of assorted neighborhoods of of white ethnic people, and then you had all these hundred thousand new black people living there, and so there were tensions and dynamics. So there was all the, it just seemed like an incredibly rich texture visually. And then the stakes of what was going on for the characters individually, and everybody's trying to achieve the same goal, which is get this record done, but how they go about it and who loses and who wins and who gains what and who who doesn't gain, just felt rich and broad, and and felt like the makings of a great film, potentially.
3: Absolutely. And then you also have these fiery performances throughout the whole film, obviously, Led by some legends here, Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. Uh, tell me about what it's like directing uh, those two.
1: Well, it's, just, it's great because you're dealing with. I mean, you, it's like you, 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 you're dealing with incredibly finely tuned instruments, mm. if you will. They're, you know, they are, you know, brilliant, brilliant craftspeople, brilliant artists, deeply ferociously committed, very skilled, very skilled. So it's just great. I mean, it's it's fun, <laughs> You know, it's fun. It's fun when you have them, and you have, and, and 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 when you have an entire company that is that is just as skilled and and you know and and so it's it's like it's playtime. It's playtime. Mm-hmm. It's discovery time. It's possibility time. It's you know. It's it's great. It's you know. It's when you have everybody on the team who's who, who's capable of taking flight. You know, then you know that's wonderful because then you can serve up ideas concepts that that are complicated or, or 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 maybe overwhelming for some artists and these people would just you know chew on it eat it up and, and then go for it so that was really thrilling
3: yeah and there's this intensity and visceral nature with the language uh, the rich language of this uh, absolutely and
1: i love that i mean you know it's like it, it, it's sort of, I've been so confused, you know, I've been confused because it's great. It's like, you know, it's like all the movies that, you know, some of the movies are the great movies that I love, like Network, like mm, yeah. um, like All About Eve, the language cascades in an extraordinary way. And I find that exhilarating. And so just the idea to dig into that and figure out how to, how, how to animate it emotionally, but also how to animate it visually, it's just, you know, it's like, you know throw me off a cliff and I have fun falling because I know I'm going to figure out something. And if I'm falling off a cliff with really, one really brilliant people, you know, you know, in front of the camera and behind, then I know it's just going to be, it's going to be a, 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 an exhilarating, fun, fun journey and we will land.
3: Absolutely. And how did you approach the visual style of this film? What did you want it to look and feel?
1: Well, you know one the, the 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 play is set during the winter. I instantly wanted to set it in the summer because i I wanted the heat as a weapon, and also heat in urban landscapes is brutal, you know because it it's just it goes into the human body there's no the earth is not there to receive it it bounces off the concrete and into your body, so I was really fascinated by that. you know, I talked to everybody from the production designer to uh, Tobias, the DP, to visual effects, I said, I want to see the heat. There are days in New York City, you know, there are days in New York City in August where it's so hot, you, you can see it. And so I wanted very much so to see the heat, to see the manifestations of the heat. So that informed the visuals, you know, the sweat, the, 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 how the body, it informed the actors and their choices to, to stick them in a, in a room where there's a um, where there's a fan that works but doesn't work, almost makes the heat worse because you you're in the presence of relief but not really. Mm-hmm. And so just playing around with all these dynamics that will contribute to the storytelling of of, of 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 no release. And also I wanted it to be visually very arresting and and to pull you in so you were drawn into the beauty of it so that therefore when the emotions and the storytelling sort of betray that sense of beauty Mm -hmm. uh, with brutality and and the truth of the situation, you're trapped because you've been pulled in by the seductive nature of how the film
3: looks and moves. And when it did come to the visceral language, the intense language, how did you help the actors develop their performances and, and make it feel lived in and natural?
1: Well, because you know, one we had a two-week rehearsal period, which was really great, um, in which you know we got we spend a lot of time talking. That was also at the exact same time that the that the, the members of the band were in the, having their music tutorials, and so every day for about four to six to eight hours, sometimes we'd 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 get together in this old and not abandoned, but this former Lithuanian community center and rehearse, and it was and and so I think that was really. Grounding, because in, during that time period they became very comfortable with each other. They grew to love working with each other. I evolved the language for speaking to each of them individually, and 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 they figured out how to you know communicate with me. And so it was we all this all these degrees of foundation were laid, so that therefore once once we started filming, I mean it, it was still rigorous work, but by that time. I think everybody had evolved in a very specific way so that therefore it wasn't about finding it. It was about evolving it. If that makes any sense.
3: It does. Yeah. Well, George, I appreciate your time so much. I've got one last question for you. Um, yeah. uh, have you been watching anything recently, any recent films, anything that's been grabbing your attention or inspiring you, uh, in recent weeks?
1: Well, it's, it's interesting. You know, I was part of a, of, of a, um, you know of a, of, a, of, a, of a group of directors getting together to talk and it was it was what was really fascinating to me and I, I brought it up sort of in the conversation it's uh, you know a, a number of the films seem to be about people people who have be, who are, who are living on the margins
4: hmm.
1: and it was just you know it's just fascinating and you know I, I'm sure most a lot of these films were were, were done into and to as as was Ma Rainey done in 2019. So I was just really intrigued by 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 there's this sort of collective. I mean, completely separate from everyone else. But there's this collective searching and and discussing and exploring those who who are those who have been rendered marginalized by society. Mm.
5: Yeah.
1: You know. You yeah. know. From you know, from soldiers going back to Vietnam to, you know, you know, people roaming around and living in, in, in trucks versus, you know, you know, you know, this, this man and this young girl stranded in, you know, in a frozen place trying to warn. It was just it, it was just seemed really fascinating, you know, yeah. all these people who are marginalized and looking for how they can be a part of it, looking for how they can belong. And, I'm, and maybe that's the big question that we're all asking right now in this country.
2: Yeah,
6: absolutely.
3: Well, George, thank you again so much. Thank you for this film. I, I really appreciate your work um, and super grateful that you brought that to us. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you.
6: Right the, uh, the horn player. I got a friend. Come on, Levy. You rehearse like everybody else. I'm going to get me a band and make me some records.
7: I know how to play real music, not this jug band shit. You call that playing music? Yeah, I know what I'm doing.
6: Go no on and fire me. I don't care. When I got there, they began to say. That's to get the people's attention. That's when you and Slow Drag come in with the rhythm part. Me and Cutler play on the break.
4: Bias, how are you? Good, and yourself? And well, thank you for you know, doing this today on a Sunday on your day off. Oh, <laughs> thank you.
5: Oh, it's more than okay. You're actually not the first interview I had today, so I think a lot of people had the same idea. You know, award season is crunch
4: time, so yeah, yeah. everybody
5: starts scheduling them when they can.
4: Yeah, well, I'm on I, I'm on a movie right now, so it's hard for me to do it during the week because you know we, we get so as a DP, you know, we work 12, 14 hours a day, Oof. and it's so hard to schedule anything. But right now, so that's why I have the weekends. But thank you for doing it on the weekend. Oh yeah, what are you working on right now? I'm doing a Netflix movie called The Adam Project that Sean Levy is directing and Ryan Reynolds is starring. So it's a fun movie.
5: Oh, it sounds very fun. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk. So this is a very dynamic film from a source material that isn't on its face dynamic, right? The play is largely confined to a room or two and it's mostly people talking. So um, were you with George C. Wolfe from the beginning in uh, working on how to kind of expand the play and to make it feel more cinematic? Like at what point did you come into the project?
4: You know, I came in pretty late. I only had uh, 15 days of prep. Um, you know, when I read it, I loved the story. I think it's so timely right now. And obviously I was, you know, very excited to be working with George, who is such an incredible director and the cast. And uh, But, you know, even reading the script, uh, 50% is in this band room in the basement, and it's a very small 20 by 20 foot room, and it is, you know, Long monologues, long dialogue scenes without much happening. So, you know, I was concerned a little bit about how to make this visually compelling. And, uh, but as soon as I met George, um, you know, he has such a great um, take on the choreography, on the blocking, uh, what he wanted to do. He explained it to me that, for example, the band room is. He described it as a boxing ring where you know the four actors had each their corner, and they would come out mm-hmm. and discuss and attack each other with words, not with gloves, but with words. But he said like this is how they block it. They will be circling each other. They will be moving from you know they would be retreating into their corners, and then maybe another one would come out. And so it was like it's just that alone, the first description of how he saw it happening, just gave me a really good idea about. You know how we wanted to bring this with the camera life, and what to be with the camera, and how to make. You know, I I I literally watched boxing matches and <laughs> boxing films for a moment just to see how, you know, coverage was and everything. But um, you know, at the end, you know, when you read it, it's a lot of dialogue, But then when the actors come in, you know, it just becomes. You know, the set became so alive with them that um, it you know it was just just. Being there, at the right place, covering them, not distracting with the camera, with lighting, or with the camera movement, or any of this, because it was all about the dialogue and the words they were speaking. That um, you know, it it I thought it 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 became its own cinematic quality to it um, in that respect. Um, and you know, we've, you know, it, it the other half is in the recording studio, so it is it is similar to to the play where it really plays mostly in those two rooms. But um, just having the those type, you know, the whole ensemble of actors just brought it life that it was, you know, secondary to be flashing with a camera or, or, or lighting.
5: Because you you have. Pretty dynamic camera work in here. And as you mentioned a few minutes ago, you said that the the rooms you were filming in were very small. Uh, How did you manage to A, still capture shots that don't look that claustrophobic? And also have such a dynamic camera
4: movement. I mean, you have dollies, you have a lot of cam work. Yeah, I mean, it, it is tricky, and, and, you know, and a lot of it, a lot of it was really shot. We shot it all in this room, and we had a couple of walls that could open up, two walls that could open up a little bit like a six-foot opening where mm-hmm. – in case we needed to get the camera a little bit further but there was like we had two little portholes that we can stick the camera from out but but 90 percent was really the the walls were closed we were in this room we used steady cam we used uh dollies with sliders so you can move laterally but also push in a little bit when needed uh we used a Short telescopic arm from Chapman, and uh, so it was. A, it's it's a combination, but mainly it was either two or three cameras for the big monologue scenes, where we just strategically positioned the cameras that the actors were able to do the whole scene in one take without interrupting it, and uh, and just having the cameras at the right place and. You know, I was definitely I have to be so thankful to my operators and dolly grips and focus pullers. Yeah, you know, I was say, the
5: focus pullers had to work it
4: out. Yeah, there's, there's, a, you know, there's been scenes where, you know, there's, there's especially a close up on Chadwick Boseman where he's talking about a very emotional moment in his life where his mother's been raped. And, you know, he comes into close up and he stays there longer than I, anyone expected, and uh, he he's so, gets so emotional. But my dolly clip and camera operator, Kirk Gardner, for example, they just kept on pushing in a little bit, kept on mm. pushing in a little bit. I'm standing behind the monitor going like, oh, my God, please keep it in focus, right? <laughs> tried. That was my first AC. And, uh, and it, because there's a moment where you go like, this is the performance of a lifetime from this actor, you cannot make a mistake, right? And that was sort of the intensity, I think, in in the room, whether it was with all the actor, you know, with the four actors in the basement or in the recording studio, and Mayola Davis, amazing. They all gave such incredible performances that it was just, I kind of a, made you want to elevate your game and be, be as good as they are. And also, you, there was just no, no moment that you didn't want to be right there and, and, and capture those performances by making a mistake from any of us. So that was the beauty. I think that was the incredible thing about this movie, that we were all very close to each other because... Um, it was that added pressure, and as you can tell, I think it, this movie, the performance-driven movie, mm-hmm. and part of the part of the difficulty in terms of cinematography was also not to distract anything from it, right? So everything we did was trying to be not to be, you know, like um, George described it me, he said, like, I don't want the audience to think ever who is the talent who is doing this shot. He wants to get, they, they, they can think about this when the movie's over, but not when the shooting. So, nothing was supposed to be like in your face in terms of like, here's amazing lighting or here's amazing this or that. It was all about, you know, being on the level of the actors and complimenting their performances instead of distracting in any way or form. So.
5: You know, one thing that um that did always catch my eye um beyond the performances and uh, obviously this is intentional, is it just looks hot. I mean, you can see everybody mm-hmm. sweating, and it's just, the, y- you can practically feel the heat. So I know some of it was makeup, yeah. you know, adding that sweat, but tell me a little bit about what you did to make that, the film just look so
4: hot. I, it was, you know. It, yeah, that was, you know, was also one of the visual references that... Um, <clears throat> George gave me right at the beginning. He said, "I want Chicago to be hot, outside, inside. I don't. I want them to feel they can't escape the heat. That it's always heat, hot." You know, Mark Ricker, our production designer, had found a, an old print of a painting from Chicago in 1906 that kind of felt like you can feel the, the sun in the painting. You feel the heat and the colors and everything. So that became our reference for it. Into you know, outside when we were outside. I was, you know, either scheduling it with the first aid, she helped me a lot shooting things at the right time, but there's this whole exterior scene in front of the studio where the accident happened, where I had to control it, We would be over a day and a half, the sun would come in and out, so that we shot, artificially, lit artificially, and mm-hmm. uh, I just used you know six eighteen k paths and condos that I had spotted in there. I can control the overhead light to bring it the overhead to bring it down to really feel the heat um, and I did the same thing inside <clears throat> you know I used a lot of hard light hard hot light coming through the windows in terms of the basement, which is our big you know one of main locations there. I had only this two battery window, but uh, i Put like 50,000 water light through the window. And uh, and then on top of it, color wise, like I used that fusion filter, which is called, uh, it's from Tiffany, it's, it's called Climmer Glass. And mm-hmm. uh, it comes as a regular Climmer Glass or it comes as a bronze Climmer Glass. I use the bronze Climmer Glass, which brings in a warmness to a, like a golden feel or, you know, a warm feel to the highlights. And it also blooms the highlights. So that really added to whenever you see something reflected on the dark skins, it 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 made those reflections bloom a little bit more and brought some warmth into those highlights. And I think that really made a big difference for making it feel like it's just hot because it's it's hard to show to right. the move, right? And, unless you're shooting, you know, with a long lens through a, through a flame behind the focal. I mean, that's what we sometimes do, like, you know, <laughs> if you're shooting a establishing shot or, you, you know, that kind of thing. But you can't do that in... In a, you know, in 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 a sea, we can't do that inside. Like, how do you, I don't know? How do you how do you show that heat? And it was just like you know, the idea that they can't escape that heat and it's part of Levy. He can't, you know, the the fan doesn't work at the beginning and, and and they can't open a window. He can't break through this door where he wants to get air, right? And it's just like, it's the theme of the movie. And, you know, I feel quite proud that I think we we got that every time. You know, that's one of the great things about this movie is like, you know, it was something that the director, George will said to me, this is how I want this to feel. And it's one of the things that, you know, a lot of the audience brings up at the end, they go, Oh my God, it felt so hot and sweltering and you know yeah. and, and, but of course a, on top of it it is makeup, like the makeup is amazing. and, uh, you know, how, how they got that sweat and in booking like all day long. Uh, they match that. Uh, you how know, we get um tests at the beginning and prep and uh, but it is definitely, you know, also, you know, a combination of everyone uh, Including yeah. the wardrobe that makes you feel like you know, you look at the costumes already you look at them, you, you you want to sweat just seeing what they were wearing, right? When you think about the Chicago Heat. So I think that's all like it's 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 great when it all comes together between costume, makeup, yeah. lighting.
5: There's a couple interesting moments in the film where it steps outside. Obviously, the very opening scene when they're moving in to see Ma Raney perform. And then there's a few times during the film where you go out onto the bustling streets of Chicago. So I would love to hear a little bit mm-hmm. about um, making those two scenes really make an impact because they're really the
4: only times we get out of this yeah. quiet space. Um, I know, I think we kind of established a lot of it the- Looks and open up the film in the first 10 15 minutes of the movie, right? Because it starts with these boys running through the forest at night, where you think they're actually being chased, and then you realize they're coming to this tent uh, in the middle of this forest opening. And uh, you know, this was sort of the first performance that we see of Marini, and we push in on her, which was a very kind of you know, we shot it as a one take that takes us from the boys all the way through this lineup where they're lining up uh, in front of the tent, pushing through it, and end up in a close up. It took too long in me, yeah. so it it got cut down into a couple of shots. But we did shoot it as a one take, and that scene, that scene, kind of establishes her, uh, you know, in the with her audience that loves her in the south and her connections with them. So George wanted us to wanted me to actually do all you know all the angles that we did there was a connection between the audience and her and uh and you know and, and the band was kind of le- left in the shadow a little bit behind her uh mm-hmm. it's just you know juxtaposed when she becomes up when she moves up north and she's in chicago continuing the performance of the song and now it's to an audience that she doesn't connect to and we actually Shot it without ever seeing the audience, right? And and I don't know subconsciously, I don't know if you realize it, but um, you know, we even shot scenes behind her in the Chicago uh, theater where you would think you would see the audience, but you don't see it. We lit it in a certain way where the contrast is so hard between the spotlight and her. Mm-hmm. It, I think you, as an as an audience, you you go like, oh, I don't see the I don't see the audience in the He's because the contrast is so high, but there was really no one there even but right? he he uh he chose not to have any audience there for her um, so I thought that was that worked really well between those yeah. two performances and then uh, you know um, um uh, then then we get onto the street and, and and immediately it's the heat when these three band members you know we, we introduce Webby a little later on the street when they're coming out of the of the subway train, and uh, not subway, the high train, and um, mm-hmm. when they're coming off and walking through Chicago, we scheduled those scenes really where the light was just right, right? Once they get to the recording studio, that's where we had to really control it because we shot over many days. But for example, the first opening the first opening shot shot when they get to that street with a recording studio, it's you know, we wanna establish Chicago in a big in a big sh- shot where you see the whole cityscape behind it. And that was, you know, this 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 street was all dressed for Chicago nineteen twenty seven. Past like three blocks, it was extended by visual effects. But it really is very similar to this print of a painting that Mark gave as a kind of you know, really matches closely in terms of color and feel and everything and but that i had to time perfectly for the time of day when the when they're going across the street that the sun was at the right place and that's hard on on a short schedule right we had only a 30-day schedule a lot of times you know scheduling Shots were the sun has to be at the right place at the right time with your an actors and everything. It's just it's tricky, right? As yeah. I, I had a lot of support. I had a, I got a lot of support from Shelley, the first AD, and from producers that helped me make that work. And and you need a director that you know obviously on your side. And George was always you know I mean, whatever I needed to make to tell the story, he was behind me. So, Uh,
5: What's the name of the painting? I'm going to look it up once I'm done with this call. (laughs) You know,
4: I don't have a name for it. It's it's called Chicago Night. It was was something that the Russian designer Mark found uh, in in his research, but there's no name to it. It's just just a painting called Chicago, titled Chicago 1906. I can, I can text, I'll send you, i text you, is it just, I don't have your number, I'll text me a picture of it.
5: Uh, please do. All right, well, uh, Tobias, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's a beautiful looking movie and I uh, look forward to seeing uh, what you accomplish in future projects. I'm glad you were able to take the time to tell me about this. Okay,
7: thank you very much the sooner you understand it, and what you say is what my say to Count.
1: <laughs> we'll be ready to go in 15 minutes. We'll be ready to go, and Madam says we're ready to go. And that's the way it go around here.
7: These records are going to be
6: hits. Every colored man in the world got to do his
7: part. I'm going to tell the white man just what he can do. They don't care
6: nothing about me. All they want is my voice.
7: About them songs I give you, they're not the right songs. I don't take them off your hands for you. I got my time coming to me. Hey!
6: You don't know nothing about what kind of blood I got, what kind of heart I got beat here. Come on! Come on!
5: I yeah, I mean, obviously, this is this is a just fascinating film to look at. The first thing everybody asks about is, tell me about the sweat, because that's just <laughs>
3: vivid.
7: <laughs> well, I mean, uh, Matiki and I, uh, you know, are part of the makeup departments. Um, and so, two things, I believe, two things, you know, I think we would all agree were happening simultaneously. We were filming in Pittsburgh in the summer. And the other thing was we were telling a story about the summer in Chicago. So (laughs) there was no escaping the sweat in real life and uh, in front of the camera. But all the sweat that you see in the film, or at least I would say 99% of the sweat you see on on the screen is artificial. So that was, for me in particular, I just had to take care of Viola. So for me, my the sweat that I was putting on Viola, not only was it um, character correct because you know Ma Rainey, the real person, was told to um, to sweat profusely, especially through her performances. But right. um, it was actually an element, or one of the many elements of texture that I played with uh, on Viola's face, that actually helped the most. I think that sweat. I think that same makeup without the sweat would have been a problem. But the sweat gave it. You know, you try to tell a story without telling a story, and I think that sweat tells you a really
6: big story. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Birro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play.
4: There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on.
6: Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry.
0: Emotion is our first language.
6: And so many others who are defining popular culture. From Obama speechwriter David Litt to top chef host Padma Lakshmi.
8: We don't often think about food politically, or we don't want to, but it really is.
6: Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts. Hey Hey there.
2: I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. even care if they are. We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at
3: Evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.
5: So, what kind of material did you use to create the fake sweat?
7: Do you wanna do you wanna answer that, Matiki?
8: Oh, um, I, I just have a like a little side note. Um, <laughs> everybody <laughs> First of all, uh, in the play, it takes place in winter. So this was like a big surprise that everybody needed to be sweating. But um, I think once we saw um, Sergio's vision, then everybody had to regroup because uh, it was widely known that Ma sweated profusely, but everybody had to sweat to some degree But nobody had to out-sweat Ma, so... (laughs) And it's so fascinating because everybody sweats a little more at each time. So Sylvester, when he's stammering, is sweating more. Uh, The guys, when obviously they're fighting, they're sweating more. Um, the proprietors are sweating because they think yeah. uh, Mara is going to run off and they're not going to get their, their pee. So everybody had their opportunity to sweat <laughs> and then sweat a little bit more.
6: <laughs> after. Yeah.
8: But my biggest challenge was not to um, really disturb <laughs> Mia and also uh, Anne's beautiful costumes yeah. because... yeah. You have to be so respectful, but right. George wanted everybody dripping with yeah. sweat, most most <laughs> <Right>. definitely. <laughs> yeah. But what yeah. were you? I I I don't know if I use this same as Sergio, but what I did in in order to control it a little bit more, mm-hmm. I used this hair preparation called Vitapoint. Mm-hmm. And if you like smear a little Vita point on, and then you spray with Evian, it actually mm-hmm. forms yeah. beads of sweat. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. 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 So yeah. that that was our little hack there. For I, for
7: I use, <clears throat> I use something different but similar in what it does, which is is that um, Mac Cosmetics Prep and Prime. It's like a mattifying cream that you can put mm-hmm. on shiny areas, because when you use artificial sweat which is basically a glycerin based um uh, yes. uh sort of you know it looks like thick water basically you know right. and so you are using these um pre-cut sponges that we cut them in in sort of any sh- any shape that's oval or round that that wouldn't leave any corners or any any hard lines of of sweat when you're when you're tapping on the skin but when you load up one of these um sponges with the with the artificial sweat the best the best skin is a a dry skin. Mm-hmm. You know the best the best the best thing you could do is put it on something that is not going to interfere. So um, you did it with VitaPoint. I did it with a little mattifying. But in those areas where I wanted the sweat, the beads, the beads of sweat, to last through the take, right? Because exactly. what I, you know that's what you want to do. You don't want to. I mean, I was relying on also like just water, but the water was more as a as a moving quality on top of the artificial sweat but what you want to do is by the by the time they y'all cut that you step back in that the beats that you put there at the beginning are still there because otherwise you (laughs) run into this weird (laughs) continuity issue you know yeah yeah so um so yeah but needless to say it's so funny because we we have seen some of the pictures that maybe netflix has or somebody has of behind the scenes and the only thing we you see us do is put sweat on. Nobody's getting their eyebrows touched up or nobody's yeah. getting their lips touched up. The just... opposite
5: of what you always do on a set, basically. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. So funny. <laughs> so uh, I know one of the big things is that there's like one picture of the real life Ma existence, right? Yeah. So um, how did all of you uh, go about finding out specific things like the horse hair or wig, and just generally the style of makeup she used etc cetera, etc cetera. like
7: research from the ground up. I let me answer this cuz she's got a good story.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. The uh so Anne Roth the costume designer uh through her research found out that uh Ma Rainey wore horsehair wigs. Mm-hmm. And so we you know, we agreed that we should definitely, and Ann loves to give me a challenge on every project that we work on. So it's always like, oh, here's something for you to do. And uh, and I love it. So um, uh, so Anne uh sort of challenged me to um figure out how to build this horsehair wig. And so I sourced the hair from Europe. It showed up just raw in its natural state, covered in manure and lice. Oh. Nothing, nothing acts. <laughs> <laughs> but but still enough to freak me out, you know. Yeah. And uh, so I had to build it um strand by strand because the horse hair was so wiry and thick that only one strand would fit through the lace that I used to build the wigs. And uh, so that was took a very long time. Every time I'd pull a hair through, it would scrape the manure off. Oh. Would, you know, yeah, it was <laughs> it was awful. I had I was like covered. <laughs> plastic, I had plastic, (laughs) plastic gloves on. It was, I've never experienced, I've never been grossed out by building a wing. And this was like, I had to take breaks, you know? (laughs) uh, So yeah. So in the end, I had to boil it, uh, just trying to get it clean because it, it, it would seem like, oh, you just wash it. No, it wasn't that simple. This was like so wiry and it was so baked on, um, that I just had to. I was like, maybe boiling water will soften it off of there. And um, oh my God. Yeah. So after the wig was built, that's what I did. I boiled water and I used different like commercial cleaners and dishwashing liquid. And I just, you know, continued to clean it until the water was clean. But what I realized in boiling it was that it softened that wiry texture. Right. And oh, I actually used that same process when I, when I set the wig on rollers, I submerged it afterwards wow. in water in hopes that you know, because at that point I was like, I don't even know this hair is going to curl, you know, like <laughs> I, this may all be in vain. Uh, but uh, the boiling water helped to soften it, helped it to form, you know, the curls, and then I just baked it in the wig dryer. And and crazy enough too, I realized that this must be the reason that Ma Rainey wore these horsehair wigs because after I boiled it and baked it, you know, that wig held that set It mm-hmm. did. Yeah. Like we were in, you know, it, it, I don't care if it was 90 degrees or whatever, you know, it was hot, it was humid. It was, it, it didn't need to be reset. Like even looking at it the next day, the wig that, that particular yeah. wig held is curl. So I think that the reason that she did that was because it's like today's you know, uh, synthetic wigs that, you know, you buy them in a style and they stay in that style. Mm-hmm. And that's what Ma Rainey's wig was for her. And being a woman of color and traveling and a performer, you know, mm-hmm. you don't know what salon may service, you know, people of color at the time. So you have to be prepared and you have to be show ready. And I think that was the purpose of the horsehair wig was, it was like a synthetic wig. It had, you know, it came out the box. Yeah. And went right back into the box and came back all the same. Right. Did you? It tell... was it was
7: ready to go. Yeah. Totally. Oh,
5: yeah. Did you? Did you tell Viola that the wig she was putting on her head had originally been covered in lice and horse manure?
2: Absolutely not. Absolutely not.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so is she only just going to find out now when she hears about this campaign. About <laughs> it.
2: But you know, but what I can say is, I did. I boiled that thing. I mean, until the water was so clean you could drink it. Okay, it was like <laughs> let's hope so. And Viola yeah. starts
5: like itching, and we can't figure out why. Oh okay. my
2: god! Right, amazing. Uh, but I will so... always smelled like a horse. It never lost the scent. It didn't smell like manure anymore. But <laughs> okay, just, that's good. It just it had right. that. Barn, it just smelled like a barn. Like a stable, like never, yeah. you know, like a, a stable. I, ha- I have to say
7: that that having like, actually touched that wig myself, I was just in awe. I mean, it was just the most incredible, incredible wig I have ever seen. I could not stop talking about it. It was amazing. <laughs> it really was.
5: So as I understand it, Mia, you had to make just a slew of wigs for this film though, right? Yeah. Um, so tell me about some of the other characters you had to do wigs for, some of the extras, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah. So, um, so Leah Lucas, uh, who was my key on this, he's a wig designer also. And this was her first film. She normally does not do film at all. She does so much theater that, uh, that keeps her busy. And I begged her, I said, she has some shows. I said, please walk away from those shows and come <laughs> <into this wig." laughs> because we had two and a half weeks to prep and, I needed someone, A, who was super fast builder, who was used to working under pressure, you know, who can make it happen and who also had a stock who we could tap into and combine our stocks and our stock of wigs. And, um, and so that's what we did. And so she had a bunch of, she had a bunch of wigs, I had a bunch of wigs and I have to say, usually like with the kinky texture, the Afros, like that type of thing, usually those are so hard to build that you build them, you sell them. You know, you yeah. don't just like build these things to have in your stock, so it's kind of rare. I may have like two or three, you know, of like really textured hair wigs, but for the most part, when I do, when I build those, because they're really difficult to build, they take a lot of time. I sell them. So <laughs> Leah and I had European hair wigs. We had straight, silky, you know, wigs, right. and so we didn't have time to build a hundred wigs, which is what we wanted to show up prepared with. So we just permed our European on stirring straws. <laughs> <laughs> we perm them on stirring straws and uh and then when you take it out it has a super kinky texture. Yeah. Uh, yeah so we both did that to like 30 of our wigs a piece and then you know and then we built like 40 wigs um from scratch before um before we needed them because you don't know who's going to show up in background and at the end of the day you really want to be able to sell it and one person's hair could kind of throw the whole thing off if it looks modern if they have highlights a relaxer that looks a little too silky a little you know so we just wanted to show up prepared in case we needed to wig every single background person. We were, yes. you know, prepared for
8: that. So actually... Tony also, he had a wig, Mia. Um, yeah.
2: Which one? Oh, yeah. Sturdy
8: Sturdivant,
7: right?
2: Now, crazy enough, Sturdivant actually showed up with a wig. The day mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. I get a text message. Sturdivant has a wig. He wants, you know, Johnny wants to wear this wig. And I was like, God, it doesn't work like that like, we've, <laughs> you know, it's like HD, like, I, like, please God, don't do this to me, you know, and, uh, and so they were like, yeah, yeah, he, you know, he wants to wear it, and George said, it's okay, and I was like, oh. okay, well, can someone give me the wig, and so <laughs> we got the wig, I was like, well, this is an HD lace, and uh, you know so we it was like that night I didn't sleep I just had to like throw a quick refront on it and like fix it up. and right. then it- so
7: let me just say I'm so sorry to interrupt you I just want will to understand what a refront means, right because when he, when Mia says ventilating hair that means like with a needle and thread you're you're basically you're sewing it onto a piece of lace like the microscopic little little holes inside of a piece of lace. that's what ventilating is right so when when she created the front the the Uh hairline to look like his hair was you know the middle aging sort of thin. that's done by hand one look you see this
2: oh wow now this is like two strands in each hole but when you get up to the front of the wig, yeah. it has to be one strand because that is where it, you really need to sell it as a hair Right, line. Right.
7: But Mia, can you show him a, a piece of lace just to- Yeah, like let's one see of those? That.
2: Can you see?
5: Oh, I do. Oh, wow. Yeah, and you had to thread. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, you had to
7: yes. thread through that. Oh. So, yeah. so, so you, you sew the hair into that piece and then when that piece goes against the skin, yeah. The, the lace disappears the, and all you have left oh, is the hair see, kind the hair. of like yeah. floating out of your skin. I oh mean, I actually, God. I've seen the movie now three times, I think, and actually this last time I was paying attention to his wig or what you did to, to his wig because it's unbelievable, actually. It is. It's like Unde- you can't see it as a wig at all. Yeah. In any yeah, way. it's amazing.
8: Okay, Unless So we have to be extra careful with that fine lace that we don't get makeup in it yeah. or yeah. this gloopy
7: stuff,
8: you know, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, it's
5: so yeah. so okay. respectful of our departments. True. So, uh, uh, Sergio and Matiki, um, so she mentioned something about, you You don't know, uh, Mia mentioned that you don't know which extras you're gonna get, et cetera, et cetera. Tell me a little bit about both of you having to um, demodernize people who are gonna populate the backgrounds of some of the big music
7: numbers, et cetera, et cetera. That is 100% Matiki, because that was just a personal to Viola.
8: So, in this one, um, it wasn't 100% Matiki, it was 100% Matiki's <laughs> phenomenal team.
7: Oh,
5: um, yes.
8: won nothing yes. without your team. And I had, I would say, the absolute best. So, with Carl Fullerton, who, I mean, just really did everything tattoo coverage. Uh, Coleman is covered in tattoos. Hmm. So that was the first thing. Then he has holes in his ears from, you know, earring holes, which they obviously didn't do in 1927. <laughs> so those, we had to actually plug people's ear holes oh up. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. And then with the women mainly, you know, this new craze of the the uh, microbraiding in brows that are, to make them really thick. And then we, of course, had to have these lines, so we'd have to completely cover them, sometimes wax them out or soap the brows so they became really flat before you made up and then repainted it. Oh, wow. The nails, we would beg and all the time, can we have gloves for this, <laughs> for this person? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, they had these long acrylics that we couldn't get rid of and um, uh, uh, mia has an incredible story also with um a dancer that they just had to have who had dreads down oh my to yes
7: the- oh my yeah. god i remember this day what so well mia so-
8: Oh, what is the cry I- no
2: i was like no no one else can do this dance <laughs> oh my god so what did you do <laughs> yes i just had to like strategically you know which don't get me wrong a lot of times people show up with dreads for different things right. and find a hairstyle that you can kind of cheat but in the 20s everything is very close to the face it's short bobs it's you know so tight that um you know how do you work that you know how do you hide that without them looking like a bobblehead you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) so I um we I just strategically moved her her locks around to kind of create a balance and put a lot of the bulk sort of right here not at the occipital so that this part laid flat you know, in the areas that I wanted to cheat, you know, I left those parts closer and, you know, basically, so that the silhouette looked like a human being. <laughs> right, know, not a bubble. Right, it right, like right, it. right, yeah, right.
7: yeah.
8: yeah. yeah. But was, uh, like a troll
7: yeah, tra- ball. <laughs> but
8: between Carl Fullerton, Debbie Young, and sometimes I think we add up to 20 um Uh, artists I don't even want to call them background artists because they they're phenomenal in their own right so we have like a five-time Emmy nominee just incredible incredible. everybody came out to play on this one and they brought their A game so I was blessed in, in that department yeah you know even with Leah coming on and
2: agreeing to do this project with me and to alter so much of her stock for this one project and yeah. you know it was huge you know and everybody that we had that like showed up and came out to Pittsburgh and work you know they're all department heads they all have you know yeah. exactly projects yeah. projects it's, it's, <clears throat> sign on. It's, I think I, I think it's one
7: of my favorite things about about working in this industry is how because by the by nature of what we do is how much we have to rely on other artists to help us with projects, you know, especially when we're running departments or supervising departments or whatever, these guys that come to help you for that one day to make your prosthetic look amazing, they may have one to three Academy Awards to their name, you know, and they're just there because they love what they do. And this is what, this is what we do for each other. Like I can, I can call Matiki for one project to, to see if she could help me out and be of my course. key, for example, and then turn around and for me to be her key for something else is what we do constantly. It's my yes. favorite quality um, of this sure. business in our in our departments.
8: Yeah. Absolutely.
5: So, uh, Sergio, uh, obviously we have to talk about the the central figure here, which is uh, all the makeup uh, on Ma. Um, what are you so, talking about? <laughs> yeah, <my laughs> it just looks like that. Uh, so for starters, <laughs> I know Viola said she, she gained a significant amount of weight for the part, but did you also add on prosthetics
7: to further enlarge the character? You know, to be honest with you, if this project had come had come to me sort of with a lot of time ahead of me before the movie started, I probably would have wanted to test the waters with yeah. what we could do with with, Perhaps maybe a nose piece or a chin piece or something, something to help me sort of erase Viola Davis, this very well-known actor. And so we couldn't do that because of time, budget, and things like that. So, so my challenge was in making her disappear to the extent that I could do that without the help of of, of prosthetics. So, the first thing to go, and this was actually a blessing directly from Maroney herself, was that she had a mouthful of gold. So mm-hmm. uh, when we created the grill for her, for, for Viola top and bottom, uh, those pieces were so helpful because one of Viola's most iconic um, features is her smile. Everybody like, right. you know, everybody knows her smile. So getting rid of that smile or putting an obstacle between your eye and her teeth, pretty much, um, did so much for me in terms of mm, getting her away from from Viola. And uh, the rest was, um, you know, another feature that really is very effective is if you can alter somebody's eyebrows. Somebody's mm-hmm. eyebrows are basically the, the frame of their lower face. And so <clears throat> you can recognize someone just by their eyebrows or, or how they, they, they frame their eyes or something. And with Viola, what I did is I wanted her to have those baby doll eyebrows from the 1920s that you see in magazines or in a lot in dolls, actually mm-hmm. in 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 dolls that were so the 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 eyebrows were always a little askew, a little bit lifted in the middle, a little bit almost like you know a little a little sorrow, a little sorrowful you know uh, feature in dolls, you know, and so I wanted that for Viola, and um, I, I I basically blocked out her own eyebrows and just painted these eyebrows. I wanted this makeup to, to feel very homemade. And I wanted, um, I I wanted to see the fragility of her application. I wanted to, before, even before the melting and before the elements came in to, to, to give me permission to make everything sort of look runny. Before that happened, I needed to make, to, to do certain steps to get rid of Viola or anything that might be pretty about Viola, like her beautiful skin. I had to, Make sure that her skin looked discolored, or that it looked like it may have had, or may have hyperpigmentation, which is the darkening and spots of of somebody's uh, face. Yeah. And so between the teeth, the hyperpigmentation and the eyebrows, I was in a really good place. The rest was uh, all theatrical period techniques, and uh, and keeping the element of uh, homemade and keeping the element of heat and i think altogether um I, I i kind of feel like the makeup uh gives it, gives out emotion you know it's it's not it's not a, a technical clinical step in makeup but it sits on her face like a a little bit tragic you know the the the, the makeup itself um what i hoped would would do is that it would connect the audience to Ma's vulnerability because she's not gonna tell you she's vulnerable, you know? Right. She she can't afford that. She has to be this strong person and take care of that nobody takes, take a, takes advantage of her. So her vulnerability, which obviously is human and is always there and her insecurities because she's an artist are there for sure. So I wanted this sort of um, uh, non-verbal, vulnerability to connect with the audience and I think that melty jittery badly applied sweaty makeup you know did the job
5: yeah was it hard to for someone who's as skilled as you are at applying makeup was it hard to badly do makeup
7: (laughs) actually no I mean (laughs) Sergio
2: Sergio, you (laughs) have to tell them about the fitting oh oh my
7: god Uh, you mean you mean like when you saw the, the when I sent you the pictures? No, um, no, no. And when Ann tapped you and said, "Okay." Oh, oh my God! This was such <laughs> a moment. I love it. Um, but basically, you know, like we all, you know, I didn't meet Matiki and I didn't meet Mia until we were there. Like oh, wow. there was very few conversations about, "Hey, what are you gonna do? <laughs> what are we gonna do?" And so. We were flying from uh, LA to Pittsburgh to do the fitting with Viola. No, this is the moment where in a big room, um, makeup, hair and wardrobe kind of set up their own little corners and then Viola comes in and um, everybody everybody, uh, tries to find Ma together, you know? And so in this particular case, Viola was uh, sort of walking back and forth for, for Anne Roth and wearing different, Padding and different gowns and different, you know, hats and things like that. And I believe we tried a couple of different weeks as well, didn't we, Mia? Yeah. A couple of weeks, and then so, you know, having come from a lot of television and a lot of um, a lot of micromanagement and a lot of uh, you know strict guidelines of television scripts. Yes. I imagined. I imagined that I would get to Pittsburgh, I would get in this room, I would watch all these incredible people do their thing, and then somebody would sit down with me and tell me, hey, this is what we want to do, and then just do that, right? And I had already prepared my idea of what I wanted to do with Viola. I had already decided that I was not gonna use any makeup brushes. I was gonna do it with my fingers only to to help with that uh, lack of precision. And so, but I was fully expecting this sort of like, hey, let's chat about the makeup. But instead, once the the, the costume part was done, <laughs> and Roth just tapped me on the shoulder and said, okay, Sergio, you're up. Oh my you God. are up, that's it. <laughs> and Roth is telling <laughs> me you're up. And I'm like, okay, yes, okay. And this is, I have to speak about this because this is really important. And I think every art- artist that you would speak to would relate to this. But it is in that moment of you are free falling, you have no idea where you're going to land. But it is in this free falling, scary moment that sometimes if you're lucky, like I was, this creativity, this fearlessness steps in and it pulls something out of you that you've had all your your life, but you have not being able or it hasn't been made accessible to you until this moment of fear you know so I, I i felt sick to my stomach that i had to suddenly jump in in front of all these people watching me create this thing and so it was an incredible moment for me um that, yeah that's that's all i have to say it was just something i'll never forget
2: i, I i'm still no i was just gonna say in the fitting alone it was like, it was so much going on because you mm. literally had Viola finding the physical character like in front yeah. of her. Like yeah. She put the suit on and she started to walk and then she stopped talking like herself. Oh my God. Yes. Yes.
7: And, yes.
2: and then yes. at one point she sat down and she sat with her legs open and she yes. started kind of rocking and <laughs> uh, and I was like, I was like, you like the fan in me was like excited, you know? I, was like, <laughs> I was, in, it was like, like I'm watching her process right now. Yeah, yeah. But then, yeah. like, the, the worker in me that I you know, was like afraid because yeah. I was like, Am yeah. I supposed to say anything to her in this yeah. moment? Like, I wanted to say something <laughs> about the wig, but I don't know if I, you know, and like literally we were watching like everyone in there, like just started to work, but Viola literally became Ma Rainey in that fitting. Yeah, she was like, that yeah, this is her yeah, walk. So this great. is how she felt. It was incredible. It's
7: amazing. It's incredible. And let me just tell you something, uh, Will, that, uh, I mean, I actually, I, I can't say that this has ever happened to me before. So this was a first for me. I, I'm a big film buff and I I love watching movies and I Mm. love when makeup and hair can make someone almost unrecognizable, if not completely unrecognizable. I don't care if they use prosthetics or not, you know, there is really an art to all of it, but um, I had never experienced doing a makeup myself on someone I knew very, very well and then have hair... uh, you know, everything else that went with her costume. And then literally stop seeing that, fir- that, that friend I know, that that person I know. So crazy. It's, Absolutely. It's, 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 it's crazy. It, it was, it's like, what? So weird, it's so bizarre. She, she made a decision early on. I, I think you were there, Mia, when she talked about, I think her one of her aunts or one of her aunties or something that she said, you know, my auntie was so big. She was like 300 pounds or whatever. Oh and there God. was no woman, sexier than her. Mm-hmm. it was. She felt so sexy and so I think that really helped and I don't want to speak for Viola of course, but I really do believe that helped sort of free her to find mm-hmm. Ma was to take the angle of like, I am hot, you guys. I am hot. Yeah. I'm sexy, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that really, really um, helped her, but there's a couple of moments in the movie where I truly am actively Trying to find Viola Davis, yeah. Viola, right? My 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 dear friend and incredible <laughs> client, and she's talking to to uh, to Cutler in one of those scenes where everybody's gone from the studio, and it's just the two of them. And it's a long scene, and I cannot find her anywhere. Anywhere, mm-hmm. she's gone.
2: Yeah, man.
5: yeah. It's it's a truly incredible performance, and and you guys' work is spectacular. Um, I think we're about out of time, but I I can't wait to hear how you guys play at the, I guess, digital makeup and hair bake-off this year at the Oscars. Yeah, Um, I
7: never even knew what a bake-off is. I'm like, sounds good. I'm yeah, no. snaps. what are you bringing?
5: <laughs> yeah, oh, you know what? That's a good way. That's a good way to, to <laughs> wrangle up some votes. I think last yes. year, the, the the Joker team was basically like, we didn't have that much to do, but working with Joaquin was just brutal. Because so, uh, so that that was enough <laughs> with the good anecdotes to get them nominated. So, I imagine like the, the life story is going to go a long way. Yes. Um, <laughs> Well, well, thank you guys so much. Um, are there any at last thoughts on the film and your work in it that you would like people to know before we go?
7: I just, I would just like to give a shout out to the incredible leaders that we had, starting with Anne Roth, which you know, I like to say that we were all moths to her light bulb. Right? She's <laughs> she's a light bulb, and we are moths around her. If it, I mean, that what 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 the gift is about her is that she left no doubt as to what we were all doing you know no doubt you couldn't question what we were doing it was clear as day because of her and i have to say tobias the, the dp tobias's cinematography yeah. is another another layer of uh, basically it's the is perfection it's it, it it it's controlling how the audiences perceive this right and obviously it's much more than just makeup and hair but it was the perfect cinematography for this period, for this mm-hmm. story, for this makeup. And then of course I have to say Mark, uh, Mark Ricker, the production designer production with design. all those sets. I mean, I just, I can't say enough. So I just wanted to say, because without, without them, we are nothing.
5: <laughs> and uh, Matiki and Mia, any final thoughts on the film?
8: For me personally, as I've worked with Denzel a few times for Denzel and Todd, and also uh, George, um, just to entrust us with with this vision is is everything to me. And and I just want to really stress again that you are nothing without your team. You know, it's it's lovely that we're being pushed a little bit to the spotlight but I, I can't express enough how much this was yeah. a collaboration. That's a yeah.
7: breath of fresh
8: air true in story. this
5: industry to hear. <laughs>
7: <laughs> so, it is absolutely true though. It is absolutely true. So true. Yeah. Yeah. And this is so,
2: here? When you read the credits, you can see there's so many people yes. that are listed. And everyone's role was important, you know. Matiki always says in these interviews and this genius that when you're doing a period piece, every single person is a principal. You know, oh, yeah. everyone has yeah. to go through the works, and uh, and it's so true. So, without the team, yes. we'd all be looking crazy. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I personally just always have to thank uh, and, and point out Ann Roth because. She yeah. you know, she turns it up a notch and she changes the game. Uh, George is a genius. I've yeah. never met one whose brain works faster than their mouth can get the words out. And that <laughs> But he tries, he tries. Guys, his brain is actually (laughs) operating so quickly that the words start to come out and they start tripping over each other because his brain is moving faster than he can actually form the words. He's genius. And I've worked with him a few times now and I'm always impressed. And I just, I'm like, I don't know how he does it. He does it so smoothly, like butter. Yeah. You know? (laughs) So it, uh, this project was amazing. And I, lastly have to say that Netflix has changed the game, Mm -hmm. allowing artists to fully tell the story without being filtered through studios and, um, and giving people a proper budget, you know, to really pull these things off, uh, as a viewer, I'm just like, you know, Netflix has changed it. I, I know that I, I wouldn't be seeing none of us would be experiencing Ma Rainey at this level if right. if, if it weren't for Netflix. Um, oh, yeah, I, I agree. Having that experience with watching things globally, you know, I have access to things now that I wouldn't normally even know exist because of Netflix, and so I just love what they're doing with film, you know, with just
8: completely changing awesome. the game. I agreed. About that time I had done three Netflix projects back to back and they were all phenomenal.
5: Yeah. Well, guys, thank you so much. Uh this this was wonderful hearing all about it and best of luck this award season you. and also i uh, <laughs> wish Anne well as well because her costumes are spectacular, and as you yes. said, it was integral to this. So um I'll keep an eye out for you guys. This award season, wonderful talking to you and uh to Sergio and Mio, uh, stay careful around those ghosts, I guess. Yes, <laughs> yes I know.
7: Right, no, I, haven't seen, yes. I haven't seen any in the background.
5: <laughs> All right, thank you. Yeah, I'm going to get like screamed and mind. dragged off the camera now. All right. Thank you, thank you so you much. Guys.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the director for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, George C. Wolfe, and Will Mavity's interview with the cinematographer Tobias Shalishler and the hair department head Mia Neal the makeup department head, Matiki Anoff, and the personal makeup artist for Viola Davis, Sergio Lopez Rivera, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. If you want to leave us a review, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars, drop us a comment, let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon.
3: we